Welcome to the Geneva Center for Security Policy podcast. I'm Ashley Mueller. This week's episode explores some of the latest global issues affecting peace, security, and international cooperation. As the world commemorates the 75th anniversary of the first three atomic bomb detonations, we speak with Dr. Mohamed El Baradai, 2005 Nobel Peace Prize laureate and former Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency. He discusses the future of humanity and how to build back better. And just after the United Nations marks the International Day Against Nuclear Tests, we speak with Mr. Marc Finot, head of the arms proliferation topic at the GCSP and former French diplomat. He reflects on Dr. El Baradai's insights and answers burning questions on the topic of nuclear weapons. Dr. Mohamed El Baradai, welcome to the GCSP and thank you for joining us for this interview. You were the 2005 Nobel Peace Prize laureate and are the Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency. My first question to you is what are your thoughts on international peace and security issues today? Well, I think we are in a very critical time, critical period in our history because we have the old system which was the creation after the Second World War, is pretty much gone. And we do not have yet a new system in its place. So we are going through a transition. We, don't, we haven't yet agreed on even the outline of the, new, of the new system. And that's a dangerous situation. It's a situation full of confusion, full of angst, full of, uh, full of uncertainty. And the, the sooner we get to agree on how the new system that fits, you know, the, a new reality, globalized world, you know, the different role of technology in our world, the sooner we get into a new system of governance at the national level, at the international level, the better for all of us. Right now, we have to cross our fingers that something doesn't go wrong in this period of confusion. As Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency, what are your thoughts on nuclear weapons and nuclear non-proliferation? Well, I think this is a real danger we are facing, the nuclear threat. We continue to live in a world marred or tainted by the existence of nuclear weapons. We have 2,000 nuclear weapons on alert which means that they are ready to be promptly launched, as they call it, which means that the U.S. president or the Russian president will have seven to eight minutes to respond to a reported nuclear attack, which could be miscalculation, which could be computer error. So we live in a, in a very precarious situation when a nuclear weapon could be launched. And if we have nuclear weapon launched, well, how the impact of this, how the other party would react, we'd go into a nuclear war. I mean, we understand, of course, the impact of nuclear war. That is self-destruction, basically, of the whole, or at least a good chunk of our world. So we have to move beyond this system of nuclear deterrence, which was a brainchild of the Second World War of the 40s. We are now in the 21st century, and we we need to figure out a better system of security that is more inclusive, 
that is equitable, that does not depend on nuclear weapons. Depending on nuclear weapons is, is, a, is a doctrine that is not sustainable, that is dangerous, uh, that is not you know, immune from human fallibility. And of course, terrorism, extremists, you know, how long would it take them before they get their hand on a nuclear weapon? And if they do, well, if they do, they will simply use it. I mean, they have no return address. They're, they're, they're not, they don't have a deterrence in their mind. So everybody agrees that this is not what we should have. Everybody who is at the heart of Cold War, everybody you know, has experience, and yet we are not yet able to move. And I was saying here at the center that the work, the work is cut for you, that you really, we talk, we complain, but we need creative ideas. You know, what is the alternative in our security system? You know, that a security system that is, does not depend on nuclear weapons. What is the, how do we get out of poverty? You know, why do we have two million people live under the poverty level today? You know, which is unconscionable, unacceptable, because we have enough resources to feed everybody. So the, how we can use the t technology, the new technology, to get us together, you know, the togetherness, you know, rather than keep us apart. I mean, right now, we live like in a tribal system. If you are not from my tribe, I don't really care very much about whether you die in the Mediterranean drowning or you, you get shot in Afghanistan. Well, what we need to understand in this kind of world, new reality we have, uh, we are all going to succeed together or we are all going to fail one after the other. The, the idea that some of us will succeed and the other will fail is not, is not at all uh, true. It, it is not a zero-sum game, you know, it is not a zero-sum game. That, so we change a mindset and your center here, you know, is, is uniquely qualified to come with new ideas, creativity, because the, the most important to me is to get people to change their mindset, to understand that we are one human race, we need to support each other, we need to work with each other, we need to help each other, irrespective of all, I would say, the superficial differences of religion, color, language. I mean, these are all superficial differences that at the end of the day, at the core, doesn't really make any difference. We are all share one thing, humanity. And I hope this is where we, this is our salvation, to my mind, you know, to feel human and to share that sense of humanity with every individual on the face of the earth. And as a Nobel Peace Prize laureate, what is your advice to future generations on how to build a better future? To move out of the current system. Uh, the younger generation are the hope, frankly. The younger, to me, the younger generation is the future, you know, and I have a lot of hope in the younger generation. They think differently, they have different culture, their music is different, their way of interacting is different. They don't see these horrible barriers between us, color, language, you know, you know, race, what have you. I have a lot of faith when I see my children or even better, my grandchildren, you know. They are color blind, they are race blind, they are religion blind. They know each other as friends as people, you know, but they speak in different ways. They don't think of ever of going 
killing each other. They, they believe that there is nothing that, you know, I kill for, you know, I fight for values, but I will never go out of my way to kill somebody. So the concept of war, the concept of violence is not in their mind, but they feel they are being marginalized. They feel that they are not being listened to. And I think the time for them now is to organize and tell the young, older generation, thank you and goodbye. <laughs> we, we, haven't, we haven't really done very much to them. Maybe we have done as much as we can, but we need a different thinking. We need a different culture. We need a different, different human interaction. And I think that is the younger generation to me. You know, I, again, I always, you know, tell the story of my seven-year-old granddaughter, you know, whom I took her to the park and I told her, she asked me a question. I gave her an evasive answer because I didn't know really the answer. And she stopped in the middle of the park and she looked at my eyes with full confidence. And she said, I want an answer right now. And at that moment, I realized it's time for them to take over. Thank you, Dr. El-Baradai. Welcome, Mark Finot, Head of Arms Proliferation at the GCSP. Thank you for joining us here today. Thank you. After listening to Dr. Albaradai's insights, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. My first question to you is, is the risk of nuclear war real? Yes, and I'm not the only one uh, saying this. Uh, this has been a, a recurrent uh, ass assessment that has been made in the past uh, decade or so. Um, it's, it's based on a series of uh, facts or factors the, the new uh, type of world that we live in, a globalized world with many more actors than um, used to be during the Cold War. And some of these actors, of course, now uh, uh, have nuclear weapons. Uh, the second factor is the, the change of doctrine or concepts of uh, nuclear deterrence, uh, which was applied uh, during the Cold War with uh, a, sort, a sort of, you know, balance of terror, uh, despite the, the huge numbers of, of nuclear weapons, there was this uh, concern that uh, a nuclear war should never be started and because it could never be won. And therefore, everything was done to, to prevent this from happening. And now we are in a situation where you see changes in, in doctrines with acceptance of nuclear war at a, a lower threshold uh, in the United States, for instance, that's the, the, the Trump doctrine, or um, uh, countries like Pakistan, you know, which uh, consider that nuclear weapons are, in a sense, weapons like uh, any others, and that therefore they can be used in, in uh, any form of conflict or battle at a very early uh, start. And, and there, there are even uh, confusions about the meaning, the actual meaning of these doctrines. Uh, uh, the Americans think that the Russians want to so-called escalate to de-escalate. And the Russians, of course, deny this, that this, this is the case. So there is a number of, of um, misconceptions uh, about uh, the, the, the cases in which nuclear weapons could be used. And the third factor is also uh, 
a major evolution in technology in the types of weapons. Uh, in the past, we had mostly bombers that could be easily intercepted or uh, missiles which were not very accurate and, and very slow. Uh, now, uh, there's more and more reliance on a sort of panoply of nuclear weapons which are more usable uh, with like cruise missiles which are more difficult to detect, hypersonic missiles which is impossible to detect because they are so so fast uh, and maneuver maneuverable, more precise. And then you have the whole complex of other uh, factors such as reliance on artificial intelligence or, uh, you know, uh, new technologies or cyber attacks, which also could uh, make the use of nuclear weapons uh, even uh, happen, even if they're not intended, accidental or unauthorized or even hijacked by, by terrorist groups or uh, criminal groups. So all these factors of risk have increased the risk and uh, lowered the threshold of use of nuclear weapons. And of course, the, the last factor is the conflict uh, situation. When you see countries like India and Pakistan, which are in a sort of permanent state of war, uh, threaten each other with the use of, uh, of nuclear weapons in a sort of trivial way, you know, uh, again, uh, um, making this uh, a likelihood that was never even thought of uh, during the Cold War. So all these factors contribute to um, this conviction by many people, including experts or high-level officials or uh, former leaders, uh, ministers, presidents that have been part of this system during the Cold War that now say the risk of nuclear war is higher now than it has ever been. The world recently marked 75 years since the first atomic detonations. You recently wrote an article that is on the GCSP website discussing this topic. How is now different than 75 years ago? Yes, of course, when the United States tested its first nuclear weapon uh, in 1945, before using it uh, against uh, Japan, well, if obviously it had a monopoly. Uh, and then when the Cold War started and this arms race started, uh, the Soviet Union acquired nuclear weapons and then the United Kingdom and China and France and, and then uh, later um, Israel, the North Korea, India, Pakistan. And, and therefore, we even had countries uh, of the, when the Soviet Union broke up, like Ukraine, Belarus, and Kazakhstan, that inherited the Soviet weapons and, and had to negotiate their transfers or the, their elimination. And uh, we had the case of South Africa, which is the only case when country had acquired nuclear weapons and then decided to give them up, relinquish them uh, unilaterally. So overall, you know, we had a, a doubling of the numbers of so-called nuclear weapon states recognized by the non-proliferation treaty from five to 10, which is, you know, which shows the limits of success of this treaty. 
it it could have been worse, uh, but it again it shows that it has not completely succeeded. So that's a major change. Uh, the number of of actors, including some. Um, I would say not necessarily rational actors or actors that could be led in 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 a conflict situation to desperate uh, solutions or you know desperate use of nuclear weapons. So that increases this uh, idea of instability and risk. You mentioned a list of countries who were prominent 75 years ago, but who are the main actors at play today? Well, of course, we have seen uh, what are uh, called proliferation crises or attempts by some states to uh, develop and acquire nuclear weapons. Um, you know, Israel has done it quietly and, and still doesn't admit that it has nuclear weapons, but it's uh, it's taken for granted that it has. So it's part of uh, sort of opacity, a form of, of deterrence. And uh, then you had in the case of Iran, which again was attempted to uh, to start making nuclear weapons in re response not so much to Israel, but to Iraq, which you know Saddam Hussein had an advanced nuclear weapons program. Now, when that program was dismantled by the United Nations after the the end of the first Gulf, uh, Gulf War, obviously Iran uh, changed its mind and gave up this, this idea because it didn't have any real motive. And that was enshrined into a multilateral agreement, the Iran nuclear deal or JCPOA that was negotiated with the international community, the Security Council uh, and Germany and, and the Europe European Union. So it was a multilateral approach to a regional proliferation crisis. This was attempted with North Korea, but it failed. And the unilateral, bilateral approach by the Trump administration also failed. But um, it seems that, again, based on the Iran example, that this would be the best solution. A multilateral approach with several stakeholders and possible compensations, guarantees, because uh, the only solution uh, when you deal with such a crisis is not sanctions, isolations, maximum pressure. It's a win-win agreement, which is an incentive for the state that uh, has developed nuclear weapons to give them up, but in exchange for some security guarantees, or at least uh, creating more confidence that it will not be attacked and therefore it will not need any nuclear weapons to defend itself. My final question to you is, does the threat of nuclear weapons ensure our security? Well, this is a belief, the, the belief that uh, states that possess nuclear weapons have, and, and uh, also this belief is shared by some of, those, of the countries which are under what is called a nuclear umbrella or extended deterrence. And it's a belief, it's a bet that it will work. And it's it's quite dangerous, I would say, risky to, to believe and to affirm that your own security is based on the idea that the potential opponent will be so scared of your retaliation in case of uh, attack or aggression that this enemy will not uh, conduct this aggression. Because it, this is all based on rational calculation, uh, assessment of cost and risk, and 
again, we're not, we don't have any, any guarantee that this will work. You know, this, the main argument of the proponents of nuclear deterrence is that it has worked. It has prevented any World War III or major confrontation between the, the nuclear armed states. Well, this is impossible to, to prove. Obviously, you cannot prove the negative. Uh, there may be many other reasons why no major war has uh, occurred. And uh, in fact, nuclear weapons have not prevented all types of wars, as we can see, including uh, indirect wars, proxy wars be between nuclear powers, attacks by non-nuclear countries against nuclear powers, against Israel, against uh, the UK, by Argentina, against uh, even between uh, Russia and China, or India and Pakistan. So, again, there is no uh, guarantee that this will work. And if you add this uncertainty to the risk that th these weapons can be used even unintentionally, accidentally, or um, for any uh, misperception, misconception, misunderstanding, uh, you know, escalation from conventional conflict into this expression to blunder into nuclear war. This is, has been used by some of the so-called realists that now oppose nuclear weapons like uh, Kissinger, Schultz, William Perry, Bogorbachev, uh, etc. So and that's, that's the main reason why a large majority of countries in the world and population within nuclear weapon states now consider that the only solution is to abolish, to eliminate these weapons before they eliminate us. That's all we have now for today's episode. Thank you to Mr. Mark Finot, along with Dr. Mohamed El-Baradai. Listen to us again next week to hear all of the latest insights on international peace and security. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple iTunes, follow us on Spotify, and on SoundCloud. Until next time, bye for now.